Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between Spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Thank you, Alexander. Well, it's good to be back. So most of you know I wasn't here last week. And if you don't realize I wasn't here last week and you were here, then something's really wrong. But I was running, as many of you know, with... Uh, this last season, I coached Girls on the Run, which is an organization uh, that brings together third through fifth grade girls and teaches them uh, different social skills through the context of running. And so the big celebration at the end of our season is a celebratory 5K. So last Sunday morning, while you were here worshiping, I was with a group and there were probably about uh, 700 girls between third and fifth grade who were running in this 5K along with their running buddies and all those cheering. And so, in fact, I, I brought a picture. You want to put that up there, Samuel? There I am um, running with a, with a couple of our girls and one of our other coaches out there. And go to the next picture, Samuel. And here I am. I almost wore those colorful striped running socks this morning, but uh, decided not to as it would distract me. But thank you so much. I am so excited. I was able to listen to, uh, listen to what uh, Leah Carl and those from Zoe Women's Center were able to share with you last week. I'm so glad that they were able to be here and share about the important work that they continue to do. And so thankful again for our worship team and our elders who were able to lead together this service in my absence. But it's good to be back. And today, we just heard Alexander read for us from 1 Corinthians 12. And friends, this passage teaches us most essentially that all is grace. Most essentially what Paul's teaching us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that all is grace. That's the point of the passage. It's not the first time that we've heard Paul make this point in the letter of 1 Corinthians as we've been studying through it. But rather about eight chapters back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we heard Paul make a very similar statement in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he said, What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What do you have that you did not receive? All is grace. All is a gift. You see, Paul taught that in chapter 4, as he's teaching here in chapter 12, that all is grace. And nothing pokes a hole in our puffed-up pride, more than the reminder that all is a grace, all is a gift. What do you have 
that you didn't receive. In fact, friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. We sang this morning, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. All is grace. It's a free gift of God to us. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's writing here to the church in Camden saying, so stop boasting about what you have, because all is grace. It was freely given to you. It seems that those in Corinth were constantly comparing themselves one to another. I mean, we've seen that, haven't we? They were comparing themselves one to another with their so-called wisdom. I'm wiser. I have, I have greater wisdom and understanding than you do. They had special knowledge. I have knowledge that you don't have. Uh, and here we find that they were boasting about gifts. I have gifts and abilities that you don't have. And we're taking pride in that. And so Paul says, no, cut it out. All is grace. All is a gift. And if it's a gift, there's no room for boasting. If it's a gift, there's no room for pride. All is grace. Now look with me here at today's passage. It's 1 Corinthians 12. It's printed in your bulletin if you want to use that. If you want to use the Pew Bibles, it's page 1139. Or you can open up in your own Bible or your Bible app. But Paul opens here in verse 1 and he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, the language that Paul uses here indicates that he's returning to answer questions. As we've seen so far from 1 Corinthians, part of this was Paul responding to a report that he'd received from Chloe's people about what was happening in the church in Corinth. And part of this was Paul responding to a letter that the church in Corinth had sent him, asking him specific questions. And so it seems when he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, like he's, he's turning back to start answering more of their questions. They've, they've sent him some kind of a question about the nature of spiritual gifts. And so Paul is answering it. And, and considering its prominence in this passage, and especially in chapter 14, it seems that the big gift that they were having trouble with was this gift of speaking in tongues. So clearly the gift of tongues and maybe also the gift of prophecy were causing some kind of problem in the church in Corinth. So Paul writes to address the gifts, and specifically we'll see in chapter 14, this gift of tongues and prophecy, and what does this all mean? But foundationally, Paul's teaching here is that all is grace. And if we're going to correctly understand what Paul is writing in this section, we need to understand a word from verse 1 that unfortunately the majority of our English translations don't help us with. Now, you remember that the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. Koine means common. So common Greek, it was in the, it was in the common language of the day. And, and so it was known and used by almost all. And here in verse 1, Paul writes, Now concerning, and they uses the Greek word pneumaticon. Pneumaticon. Now, now, pneumaticon is a Greek word, and it's translated in ours here as spiritual gifts, as you see on the screen. Unfortunately, that may not be the best translation of the word. You see, first, the word gifts is not actually used here. There's a Greek word for gifts, and it's not used anywhere in verse 1, but we're going to see it in verse 4. Okay, so it's not necessarily talking about gifts. This word pneumaticon means 
is from the Greek word pneuma, meaning spirit or breath. So whatever Paul's talking about, he's talking about something having to do with the spirit. But more importantly, this word is not a noun, it's an adjective. So what's that mean? It means that Paul actually writes for us, if we were to be really literal, now concerning spiritual. Now concerning spiritual. Well, that doesn't make much sense to us, does it? So you have to kind of fill something in for the blank. And the translators chose to use spiritual gifts. But maybe a better thing would be to say, now about spiritual things. Now about spiritual things. Paul's writing about spiritual things. Gifts are included. But there are many things about the Spirit and what the Spirit does. You know, we noted earlier in this letter that spiritual doesn't mean what spirit, in the Bible what spiritual means today. We have a growing number of people and you know them, who say, well, I'm spiritual but not religious. You have friends like that, don't you? I do too. Spiritual but not religious. But what they're talking about is having some kind of transcendent experience. They're talking about the experience some kind of being spiritual. But when the Bible talks about being spiritual, as we saw a couple of weeks back, when it talks about spiritual, it's not necessarily talking about some kind of transcendent enlightenment or experience. Biblically, spiritual means from the Spirit of God, or of the Spirit of God, or by the Spirit of God. So, what's Paul saying? Paul says, now concerning things of the Spirit. What am I writing to you here, verse 1? Now concerning things of the Spirit, the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God is active and at work, what does it look like? What does it look like? What are the things that the Spirit does? What does it look like when the Spirit is at work? Specifically here, he's talking about within his people, within his church. Now, concerning spiritual things, concerning the things of the Spirit of God, I don't want you to be uninformed. And in verse 2, he reminds the church, you know, you're coming out of paganism. And so this is a new experience for you. So let me write to you because the spiritual things, life in the Spirit, is different from the life that you have been living following idols. I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed. It's different from your former life, so let me explain. And he starts here in verse 3. He says, Therefore, I want you to understand, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to look at the second half of that first. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Friends, the first thing that we see the Spirit does is the Spirit gives us faith. Friends, faith itself is a gift. In Paul's day, loyal Roman citizens, when they were taking uh, an oath, for uh, like an oath of office, they would say Caesar is Lord. That, that was pledging. To Caesar, he is Lord. And Paul says, no, 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 the confession that we make is Jesus is Lord. And that's a confession that can truly only be made by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, no one becomes a Christian by achievement. No one trusts Christ by their own power. Faith is a gift. Salvation is a gift. All is grace, is Paul's point. It's all grace. As we sang this morning... If you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. Friends, if he had not loved us first, if his spirit had not drawn us and moved us, 
we would refuse Him still. But the Gospel, the good news, is that He loved us first. The initiative is divine. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is good news. This is the Gospel. The Gospel is that God loved us first. That God made salvation possible. That salvation is unmerited, unearned, undeserved. It's all a gift. All is grace. It is freely offered and it must be freely received. Only by the Spirit can we say Jesus is Lord. And friends, as we confess that truly, we are saved. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And friends, if you have not yet confessed that Jesus is Lord, I pray the Spirit leads you today. I would love to speak with you after the service or come speak with any of the leaders you've seen up front here this morning because we would love to speak to you and to pray with you that you might know the good news that Jesus is Lord. And Paul says it's only by the power of the Spirit, ultimately, that we confess Him as Lord. But in the same way, Paul started verse 3 and he said, Therefore, I want you to understand, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Now, in the context, Paul's comment about somebody speaking in the Spirit and not being able to declare Jesus is accursed is probably directly addressing a worry that they had about tongues. Uh, Again, if people were speaking in some kind of tongue or language that they didn't understand, inspired by the Spirit to do so, there might have been a worry, am I uttering blasphemous things? But Paul says if the Spirit truly inspires any speech, the Spirit cannot and will not cause you to utter a blasphemy. Again, there's clearly a concern in Corinth about speaking in tongues, which chapter 14 is going to deal with and we'll deal with at length when we get there. However, Paul goes on here in verses 4 through 6 in today's passage to offer us a profound and beautiful statement about the work of God in and through His church. Look at verses 4 through 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, the first thing we have to note is the mystery that Paul expounds here. You have to note the mystery that Paul expounds here. Verse 4, the same Spirit. Verse 5, the same Lord, who is Jesus Christ. Verse 6, the same God, God the Father. Friends, we find here again the mystery of the Trinity. There is one true God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The church is born of the action of the triune God. And more than that, the nature of the church, where the many of us are one, is a reflection of the three-person God, where the three are one. So God's work within the church is manifest in many ways. This is God's work in and through the church. And three words are offered here to describe the work of the triune God in and through His church. Verse 4, varieties of gifts. Okay, there's the word gifts that we've been looking for. Verse 4, gifts. And it translates the Greek word charismata, which is from a Greek word charis, which means grace. Grace. 
So, so whenever you hear gifts, realize that the root of it is grace. Because gifts are freely given. It's not earned. It's not deserved. All is grace. Unmerited. And as we're going to see, there's many different gifts. We find a list here in 1 Corinthians 12 that we're going to look at shortly of gifts. Romans 12 has a similar list of gifts. Ephesians 4 has another list of gifts. None of these are meant to be exhaustive lists. They're simply representative. Because the Bible nowhere gives us a complete list of all of the gifts there are. Instead, it offers us a series of representative lists and also some mentions as we go through the Scripture. In fact, you might remember that when we studied 1 Corinthians 7 a few weeks ago, Paul mentioned in passing one of the gifts. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, he said, I wish that all were as I myself am, which in the context was single. But each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And he actually names singleness as a gift from God. In fact, moreover, the artistic gifts are named in the Scripture as gifts of the Spirit. In the very first time in the Bible, when we see the language filled with the Spirit of God, we see it in Exodus 31, which is a report of God filling men for the construction of the tabernacle, giving them His Spirit and gifts of artistry. Exodus 31, 3-5, the Lord says, I've filled Bezel with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. I've given him my Spirit, and by my Spirit, he has this ability to produce this beautiful art. Friends, the bottom line is that there are many, and there are diverse gifts, and the lists that we have in the Scripture are only representative and not exhaustive. But what is clear, and the point that Paul is making, is that the Spirit is the giver of all gifts. For all is grace. And Paul goes on to declare in verse 5, he says, there's varieties of service but the same Lord. And the Greek word here is diakonia, which is where we get our English word deacon. There are varieties of ministries, varieties of service. In fact, next to the gift list that I mentioned in Ephesians 4, we find an instruction is given to the leadership of the church. And he says, leadership of the church, this is your job. Ephesians 4.12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, diakonia. For the building up of the body of Christ. So we find that all are gifted by the same Spirit. All are called to serve, to minister to the same Lord. And finally in verse 6, there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now in the Greek, the word activities and empowers are both from the same root, energero, energero, which is where we get our word energy. So there's varieties of power, but the same God who empowers them. Or there's varieties of working, but the same God who works in them. The power of the Spirit is behind all the work. So again, verses 4 through 6 give us a profound statement of the work of the triune God 
in and through his people. And at the heart of it is the very presence of God manifest by his spirit. And so Paul is saying, hey, listen, if all of this is from God, there's no room for you to be boasting. There's no room for you to be proud. If all you have has been given to you, if all you're doing is made possible by the Spirit at work within you, then all's grace and your pride and your boasting, Corinthians, is out of place. In fact, Paul says the gifts have been given not to build you up, not so you can take pride in them. The gifts have been given to you so you can build others up. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He says, all that you have has been given to you from the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God, and none of it is meant to build yourself up, but to build others up. Love one another. Serve the common good. And church, you need to notice that it says to each is given in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. There are no spectators in the kingdom of God. There are no spectators. To each is given. Each is gifted with the Holy Spirit. And thus, in each one is called to serve and to manifest the work of the Holy Spirit in some way for the common good. And and verses 8 through 11 offer us a list. A list of some of these different manifestations of the Spirit's work. Now, before we look at the list itself, I just want to note that what should stand out to us from this and some of the other lists that we find are mentions of spiritual gifts is that these spiritual gifts, some of them that are listed are things that we might conceive of as natural temperament or natural ability. But we need to understand that this distinction that we draw, that we draw between spiritual and natural, is not a distinction that the Bible just draws. There's not a distinction scripturally. You know, in the Enlightenment, you know, which I think Abigail was just studying, in the Enlightenment, it was an intellectual movement of the 17th and 18th centuries. It influenced the way we think as Westerners. It emphasized reason and science and rationality. And the Enlightenment caused us to divide this world into two in our minds. It caused us to understand things as either natural or as supernatural. It caused us to think about things as either secular Or sacred. You see, nature were those things that could be explained by rationality and reason and law and science. But the supernatural was somehow separate from that and was beyond what could be explained by these things. The secular was that which was governed by natural law and science, while the spiritual was separate, governed by religion. So Western thought divided the world into natural, supernatural, sacred, secular, but the Bible has no such distinction. The Bible understands that everything is from the hand of God. Everything is grace. If you were to ask the Apostle Paul, hey Paul, as you listed these gifts and as you mentioned them, which ones of these are natural and which ones of these are supernatural? Paul's answer would have been, huh? Because he wouldn't have understood the question. Because according to the authors of the Bible, they didn't divide the world this way because God doesn't divide the world this way. God's hand is behind it all. God's gifts, all gifts are God's gifts. Friends, as we consider these lists, let's not draw hard and fast lines of division where the Bible doesn't. 
Paul's emphasis is that all is grace. Everything's a gift. And everything that we have is to be used for the common good. And all that we have is to be done for God's glory. Now, that being said, let's recognize that as we look at these lists, some of these gifts might be enduring traits, some kind of a natural ability that's specially empowered and animated by the Spirit for a purpose. And But more of these, I think, that are being discussed are not necessarily enduring traits, but rather temporary traits, things that the Spirit gives for the accomplishment of a purpose. You know, for example, on the day of Pentecost, I missed Pentecost Sunday. That was last Sunday. But on the day of Pentecost, we remember that the the early church was gathered in Jerusalem during the Feast of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2, it tells us the story that the Holy Spirit came into that room like a rushing wind and tongues of fire were upon their heads. And they started to speak in human languages that they themselves didn't know. But because that happened, all those who were gathered in Jerusalem from around the world could understand and hear the gospel in their own language. Now, there's no indication that from that point forward, the disciples continued to be able to speak in those languages. We don't have any indication of that. There's no indication that that ever happened to them again. It was a temporary manifestation of the Spirit, a gift given for that time to accomplish God's purpose. Or we find elsewhere in the Bible, back in the Old Testament, according to the word of the Lord, on his way to be anointed king, Saul was on his way. And in 1 Samuel 10.10, it says, When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met Saul, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. Now, we have no indication that that gift of being able to prophesy endured with King Saul, But the Spirit was given at that time for that purpose, for that time to accomplish God's purposes. So today, maybe the Spirit might give you a word of knowledge to explain that which must be known, or a word of wisdom to respond to a challenge, or God might use you in your prayer to bring healing to the sick, or give you faith to attempt the seemingly impossible. The list of gifts don't necessarily represent enduring lifelong gifts as much as manifestations of the Spirit's power to meet the challenge of the time. I'm mindful of the founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, who ministered regularly with his brother Charles. And it's recorded in one of his journals. John wrote, Among the many difficulties of our early ministry, my brother Charles often said, If the Lord would give me wings, I'd fly. And I used to answer him, If God bids me to fly, I'll trust him for the wings. You see, if God bids me to speak, I will trust His Spirit for the wisdom. If God bids me to attempt, I will trust Him and His Spirit for the faith. If God bids me to heal, I will trust His Spirit for the power. These things are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So understanding that the Spirit is behind all of these, let's consider the manifestations in this list. Now, the first two listed in verse 8 are the word of wisdom and word of knowledge. Now, for us, it's difficult because this is the only place in the New Testament that Paul uses these two particular phrases. So, we don't have a lot of explanation or differentiation. But the best way to understand one part of Scripture is by looking at another part of Scripture. 
So just a few chapters prior, in 1 Corinthians 8, you might remember, there was an extended discussion of knowledge. You see, he was explaining, knowledge was understanding and explaining what was true and real regarding the nature of idols and food sacrificed to idols. You have knowledge and understanding of these things. And in the next chapter, when we get to 1 Corinthians 13, we'll see knowledge and understanding again in 1 Corinthians 13:2, where he says, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. So again, knowledge seems to have to do with understanding. Understanding what's true and what's real. And this word of wisdom, he mentions a word of wisdom or an utterance of wisdom in this translation. The word of wisdom might best be understood by Jesus' own words when he promised his disciples what would happen to them and what would be provided them. In Luke 21, verse 15, Jesus taught his disciples, he said, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. It seems to have to do with meeting the challenge of their faith and meeting the challenge of advancing the gospel. And that's exactly what happened with Stephen, the first martyr of the church. In Acts chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Those who opposed him could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. So this idea of wisdom seems to be the ability to answer challenges to our faith. So advancing or defending the gospel. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And in verse 9, it goes on to mention faith. And when it mentions faith, it can't mean the general faith that all of us who trust in Christ must have. But rather, we hear a little bit more about faith in the next chapter. In 1 Corinthians 13, 2, Paul writes, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Faith as to remove mountains. So, faith which allows one to believe the impossible promises of God. Faith that allows people to attempt great things, to go further, to move mountains. A gift of the Spirit. And verse 9, Paul does mention healing. Now, note here that the gift of healing is not said to be given to the person who's healed. It's said to be given to the person who does the healing. Again, it's tempting to try to draw a hard and fast line between natural healing and supernatural healing. But friends, we remember that all healing is ultimately from the hand of God. All healing is a gift of God. However, the Spirit can and does at times give the gift of healing to persons. I'm mindful of the words of James chapter 5, verse 4, which says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. There are a variety of gifts and the same Spirit who gives them all. Verse 10 mentions the working of miracles, and whatever Paul has in mind here must be different from healing, because he just mentioned healing. Friends, when we read the New Testament, we find that wherever the Spirit is active, miracles seem to accompany it. Wherever the Spirit is moving, miraculous things seem to happen. Paul made this point in Galatians 3.5. He says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You see, the Spirit's presence and the Spirit's activity 
means that things that are hard to explain will happen. Manifestations of the Spirit's power. Paul writes, sometimes for his good pleasure and purpose, God intervenes and manifests his power in a way that's surprising and unexpected, yes, miraculous, but all of it to serve his purposes and to bring glory to his name. And then in verse 10, he mentions prophecy, which we're going to see in two chapters, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, and we'll dive deep then. But for now, I'll just say that prophecy was not something that should have been surprising as a manifestation of the Spirit. When all of the disciples received the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, and they started speaking in languages that they didn't understand, the Apostle Peter stood up and said, this shouldn't surprise anyone. It's a fulfillment of the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel 2.28 and says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. So the very presence of the Spirit was accompanied by prophecy. In fact, in the previous chapter, you might remember 1 Corinthians 11, we actually heard at the beginning of that chapter instructions given for women who were going to pray or prophesy in the gathering of the church. Now, we'll discuss more exactly what prophecy is today and what it means for us in 1 Corinthians 14. But for now, just a verse from 1 Corinthians 14.3 that gives us the purpose of prophecy. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So again, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And whatever prophecy is, it's given to build up, to encourage, and to console. And Paul continues in verse 10, and he says, Some have the gift of testing spirits, which again seems to be related to prophecy, because if a person claims to be bringing some kind of a word from the Lord, they they claim that their words are inspired by God, or if somebody comes and they say, I'm doing works, that have been inspired by God, then the church needs to make sure this is the real deal. And God says some people are specially gifted to be able to help discern what's really happening. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4.1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And some are specially gifted, he says, at times to discern those spirits. And finally, Paul concludes his list with mentioning tongues and the interpretation of tongues. It's probably here at the end because it's the big build-up because this is the one they're all waiting to hear about. Because this is the one causing trouble. And so finally, he comes both to the end and there's a build-up, but maybe he also puts it at the bottom of the list to go, hey, listen, guys, you're making a big deal about this one, putting it at the top of the list. I'm putting it at the bottom. So we're not sure, but again, tongues seems to have been a problem that we'll get into. Now, exactly what speaking in tongues entails, whether it's speaking other known languages like we see in Acts 2, or whether it's speaking in a prayer language unknown to humans, we'll address that in chapter 14. But here are two verses from chapter 14 to kind of whet your appetite for our discussion. 1 Corinthians 14.5, Paul writes, he says, I want you all to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 39-40, So my brothers and sisters earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be decently done decently and in order. 
we'll have a lot to talk about that day, won't we? I may be absent. I'm going to let Dan take that one. Thanks, Dan. But church, what Paul's point is in this whole passage is what we're talking about. All is grace. Excuse me. All is grace. He concludes with verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. All is grace. All are given by the Spirit. All are for the common good. All are to the glory of God. There's no room for pride. There's no room for boasting. There's no room for division. Those in Corinth, those in Camden. All the gifts, the diverse manifestations of the same Spirit. And Paul's ultimate point, church, I want you to hear. Paul's ultimate point to Corinth and to Camden is stop obsessing about the gifts and start obsessing about the giver of gifts. Hear that again. Stop obsessing about the gifts and start obsessing about the giver of gifts. Let your focus not be on the spiritual gifts. Let them be on the Spirit of God. Because ultimately, the Spirit of God amongst us, church, is the gift. It is the gift that He's given us. As we sang this morning, for thyself, best gift divine to our world so freely given, for that great, great love of thine, peace on earth and joy in heaven. Friends, the Spirit is the gift, the best gift. The lowercase g gifts, the manifestation of the Spirit's power, are fine, but the uppercase g gift, the Spirit itself, is the gift we want to focus on. So stop boasting and longing after obsessing about dividing over lowercase g gifts. Church in Corinth, Church in Camden, focus on the gift. The Spirit of the living God lives within us. He lives amongst us. He is at work. The Spirit is the gift. And friends, if you've received this gift, the gift of the Spirit, then you know this grace. And this presence and this power is yours. But friends, do you know? Do you know the Spirit? Do you know this grace? Are you experiencing and living this power? Church, let the prayer that we open the service with become our prayer. Holy Spirit, You're welcome, not just here, you're welcome here. So come flood this place, fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, it's what our heart longs for. And if it doesn't make my heart long for it, to be overcome by your presence. Let your Spirit's presence be known amongst us and through us. Church, let this become our prayer. And that the life of the Spirit be manifest through us. And let's pray. Holy Spirit, You are welcome here. Come and have Your way. Do Your work. Bring Yourself glory and honor and praise in and through Your church, in and through Your people, now and forevermore. We give ourselves to You and to the advance of Your Gospel the expansion of Your kingdom and Your glory. Father, lead us forth from here by the power of Your Spirit and glorify Your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.